This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, September 19th, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. Americans distrust financial regulators about as much as they distrust Wall Street. That's one of the big takeaways from a new Cato Institute financial survey, Wall Street versus the Regulators, out today at Cato.org. Authors Emily Eakins and Thea Brooke-Knight discuss the findings. How do Americans feel about uh, the financial industry and the people charged with making sure the financial industry is treating people well? Well, our survey you know, reflects and is consistent with what most surveys out there find, that people are wary of Wall Street. But what our survey also found was that people distrust the financial regulators charged with overseeing Wall Street as much as they distrust Wall Street itself. So people don't really trust either Wall Street or the Wall Street regulators. And Wall Street is just this term that is thrown around. I heard, I think, Sherrod Brown on uh, the radio recently talking about how Republicans always side with Wall Street. And it's like, (laughs) well, what does Wall Street mean? Is it a guy? He seems mean. And yeah, I think this might go to some of the results that we got, which was that when you talk about Wall Street in general, people tend to have a negative feeling toward that. But when we talk about the financial industry, you know, there is Wall Street and there are, there's Wall Street itself and there are the, the um, institutions that are there. Um, but there's also the broader financial industry and there are uh, people who are part of this, who are broker dealers, who are banks, who are any part of this whole ecosystem all over the country. And when people are dealing with their own credit card issuer or their own bank, it's a very different experience in their own mind. And they tend to be, you know, the results we got suggest that they're very happy with those interactions. Yes. So to Thea's point, when you ask about Wall Street in general, when you ask about credit card companies in general or even mortgage bank uh, lenders in general, we find that about three in 10 have favorable views of these entities. But if you ask them, what about your bank? What about the credit card company that issuers issues your card um, and your own mortgage lender if you have a mortgage? We found drastically different results, like 9 in 10 Americans in most of these categories are satisfied with their own bank. It's just that when you ask them about kind of in, in aggregate some of these financial institutions, the media narrative, the, the negative um, stories that have come out about particular abuses have colored people's perceptions of the entire industry, but that doesn't extend to their own bank. Which is the same thing you'd hear about Congress. Like when when people <laughs> yes. re, people provide an approval rating for Congress, it's obviously essentially meaningless because people like their own tend to like their own congressman. Exactly, and I think that this has an important implication for when we think about public policy. Um, is that most people feel like they're being treated well? We found about eight in ten felt like their bank had provided them true and honest information about the fees and rates associated with their accounts. There was a minority that felt like they had been misled, and so obviously we that's important. That should be investigated. But when we think about public policy, most people feel like they're being treated well. It's a, a particular minority that feels like they're not. And that is important, but it's it's not as widespread as people think. And this is important when we talk about different types of policies that are being implemented that affect consumer finance. So there are a number of changes that have been made that have changed the way people are able to receive actual financial services. And I think that on another podcast, we talked about, for example, uh, why we have no more free checking for most people. Um, That is a change that 
drastically impacted the way people interact with their own financial institutions and in a way that people might not realize is being traced back to this broader regulatory structure. All right. So uh, in some other areas where uh, you've questioned these folks, what do people mean when they say more regulation? Right. So in survey after survey, you'll find either a majority or plurality, depending on how the question's worded, whether you think there should be more oversight, less oversight, or should we keep doing what we're doing now when it comes to Wall Street? And in almost every survey, we find majorities, pluralities want, quote, more regulation. And so a lot of people interpret this to mean that there's public support for another Dodd-Frank, for more rules and regulations on Wall Street. But we decided to go a little bit deeper and try to figure out what people meant by this. And what we find is that few people think that we don't have enough rules on Wall Street. Only 18 percent thought there were too few rules. Instead, what most people think is that, first, we fail to properly enforce existing rules on the books. Think about uh, Wells Fargo. It's not like what they did was legal um, with the fake account opening scandal. Um, and that about a quarter felt like we enforced the wrong kinds of regulations. So for Americans, it's not just about are we do, should we do more or less regulating. It's about are we doing smart and consistent oversight to ensure that consumers are um, not lied to, that banks don't engage in fraud and they keep their promises. And Thea, to your to your point, it's it's not clear that Americans really understand the connection between whatever regulation is on the books and how the services that they themselves consume are affected. I think that's true um, because some of these things it's hard to see. I mean, it's hard to see how um, a change to you know certain fees that were included in Dodd Frank is going to make it so that you don't have free checking anymore. Um, but I also think that this concern about lack of enforcement. Even though it sort of puts a fine point on something that has been in the air since the financial crisis, which is this idea of, um, you know, there are some people, especially in the financial services sector, who are too big and too rich to follow the same rules as everybody else. And this is a concern that we saw, you know, during the crisis when there were bailouts, where there was this feeling that there was this collusion almost between uh, certain parts of Wall Street and the government where the government was helping out its friends. And I think that this is a really pernicious uh, idea. And it's I, I think that it really strikes at the heart of a lot of American values in terms of equal protection and everybody is subject to the same laws. All right. So uh, related to that, though, it, if you watch all the movies that have been made about the financial crisis, you get a sense that, well, some of this was actually people helping out their friends. I mean, there's a lot of salience, and it's not, there, people aren't necessarily wrong to think that that is the case. No, not at all. I think that, and I think that the way the bailouts were handled, and the way the financial crisis was handled, um, where it seemed like it was targeting specific industries looking to hand out certain favors, I think that we did see this. I don't think people are, are wrong. I think that they're picking up on something that actually was present. Um, I think the the problem is when that's trans translated not into, hey, we need to make sure that we don't just have the government handing out favors to friends. It's translated into instead, oh, we need to give the government more power. Right. Okay. Emily, one of the the thing that I like most about the kinds of surveys that that you put together are that you ask the cost question that <laughs> that most surveys don't ask. So what kinds of programs do Americans support to 
help people uh, financially and what are they willing to pay for those programs? <laughs> yes, um, these are these are great questions to ask. I wish more pollsters would ask these types of questions. Um, let me pr- provide a little bit of context for one of them that we asked. Um, a lot of commentators, people that have written about the causes of the financial crisis, have um, have argued that um, certain government policies res- um, that were intended to increase homeownership among those with low incomes um, led to a lowering of lending standards. And that contributed to the financial crisis. Now, not everyone um, agrees with this view, but this is a very commonly, um, you know, espoused view. So, what we did is we asked in our survey, "Would you favor or oppose government policies that um, that uh, attempt?" Or how did we word this? Um, would you favor or oppose policies that would make it easier for low-income families? to um, purchase a home. And we find overwhelming support, even across partisans, um, for most partisans that support this kind of idea. But then we followed up and said, would you favor or oppose government passing policies that made it easier for low-income families to buy homes if it resulted in more mortgage defaults and home foreclosures? Those results flip completely. Um, And two-thirds of Americans oppose such policies if that was the result. And here's the problem with a lot of public policy is that we judge it on the basis of its intentions, not necessarily on the basis of what it actually accomplishes, what are the outcomes. And so I think we need to keep in mind that if we're going to be pursuing various policies before we pass them, let's think through what are the potential costs. Let's survey the American people and find out what types of costs are you willing to bear. In this case, People are not willing to bear, um, you know, a, a spike in home foreclosures and mortgage defaults, even for the good intention of trying to expand home ownership and the benefits of that to more Americans. All right, uh, CEO pay was another question that you you put on, or a series of questions you put on the survey. What? do we find there? So as you can imagine, a lot of people, about three-fourths of Americans, think that CEOs today are overpaid. But what was surprising in the survey is that about the same share thought that NBA players and NFL professional football players um, were also overpaid. We found people thought that um, famous actors were overpaid by almost the same level. We followed up and then asked if government should regulate the salaries of some of these professions. And what we found there is that even though people think that these professions are overpaid, majorities oppose government stepping in and trying to regulate their pay. So it seems like there are perhaps values in conflict there uh, and or, – or I should say not in conflict really because you can say that someone's overpaid. You can think that it's a, it's a waste, a general waste of money to pay somebody some ungodly amount of money. But another value might kick in which is look, yeah. Good on, you know, good for you. You've been able to make this amount of money. Right. Um, we did find something kind of funny in the data. Um, so, so Democrats are more likely than Republicans, as you might imagine, to believe that CEOs are, are far overpaid, far overcompensated. But a majority of Democrats would support government regulating CEO salaries, while strong majorities of independents and Republicans would oppose. But what was that's not surprising. But what was surprising is that on all the other professions about famous musicians, famous actors, NBA players, NFL players, Republicans were 10 to 20 points more likely than Democrats to believe they were overpaid, but they opposed government regulating all of their salaries. So CEOs, NFL players, they were consistent on all of them. Is it, do you think part of that is just a disconnect between 
our ability to observe what the people do. I talked to Aaron Powell about this a long time ago and he said, you know, people have this sort of repugnance toward uh, CEOs because perhaps they just don't think that they're actually doing anything, that they're not making high stakes decisions. Whereas, you know, Michael Jordan, um, the uh, <laughs> the starting lineup of the New York Yankees, those, those people, we actually see them perform. We see what they do and we can we can sort of have a judgment that we can assign to it. I think that's true. And I think that, you know, when you um, ask about things like movie actors, I mean, when you go to see a movie with a famous actor and you come away and say, yeah, I really enjoyed, you know, that two hours and I'm glad I spent $15 to go see that person in that movie. Um, whereas when you use your shampoo in the morning, you don't think about the CEO who made the decision to, you know, do whatever distribution de decisions they were making that got that shampoo into your shower. Or, or reduce the price by a dime. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I think in terms of the, you know, the difference between people who think that these individuals are overpaid and the willingness to use government intervention. I think that this is really important from a policy standpoint because I think oftentimes the questions that are asked are just asked, are these people overpaid? And then, you know, then there's the assumption from that, well, then people must support some sort of restriction. And by separating this out, we really take this as people understand that these are two separate issues. You can support something and, or have an opinion, but not think that the government needs to enforce your opinion. And that is really important. Um, beside any, you know, I think that uh, regulation of CEO pay usually does the opposite of what is intended. Um, but even if it were effective, um, people don't want the government stepping in there. And I think that's a really important point that often is missed in discussions of CEO pay. Emily Eakins and Thea Brooke-Knight are authors of the new Cato Institute financial survey, Wall Street versus the Regulators. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 